Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. On today's show, we have social media influencer, comedian, and author James Breakwell. James is a self-described professional comedy writer and amateur father with four daughters, 10 and under. He is best known for his family humor Twitter account, Exploding Unicorn, which has more than 1 million followers. James has also written three books about to release the fourth in June and has been profiled in publications such as USA Today, Us Weekly, Reader's Digest, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Cosmopolitan, and many more. Welcome, James. I have to say I'm super excited to talk with you. 1.5 million social media followers, and probably more, is quite impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. And I, I also am impressed with your math skills. Everybody always just goes a million for Twitter, but you actually added them all together. <laughs> so you uh, you did your, your uh, background research. I'm going to have to stay on my toes with you. <laughs> good, good. So I'm sure you get this question all the time. You might be sick of it. But what exactly is an exploding unicorn and how did that come about? obviously it's a, it's a unicorn that explodes. It's quite <laughs> literally what I'm going for the image there. And, uh, I started out, uh, it's for, it's from a long, long time ago back in high school. I was, uh, I had extra time at the end of a computer literacy class. And like most normal kids, I used that extra time to start writing a fake book of the Bible. It was one of the first humor <laughs> pieces I wrote and sent out. And, uh, one of those, and I, I sent it to my friends and I watched them open it and laugh. And that's kind of what got me hooked on all this to start. But one of the entries in there was about, unicorns filled with hydrogen and the passage ended with and that's where we get the saying it exploded like a unicorn and because I never grew up that that image of bursting unicorns <laughs> kind of stayed with me all those years and so eventually when I started a website I made it exploding unicorn uh, com and then when I branched out into Twitter and social media I just kind of kept that same image going so I guess the the real cautionary tale here is be much more creative when you're 16 because those things stick with you forever <laughs> Well, it's probably the reason you had four girls, right? Because of the unicorn thing. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that is when my wife and I got married, we agreed our family plan was we were going to have four boys. We were in complete agreement on that. <laughs> shows, you, shows you how good we were at that one, but it, it's worked out wonderfully. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yes. So tell us how your Twitter handle took off. Did you set out to become internet famous or did it just happen? Yes. So I was, I was very deliberate with this. So I started at, at, in blogging, uh, kind of when blogging was dying and I, I put a whole bunch of words out there trying to get people to read these thousand word or 2000 word posts. And I just couldn't do it. And I kind of wrote in the wilderness for probably 10 years. And then uh, I kind of figured out that, you know, there's a social media thing going on and I needed to use that to direct traffic. So I joined Twitter at first, just to share links to my blog. And I eventually realized you can't just tweet out random links. You have to write jokes and original content for Twitter. So then I became obsessed with Twitter and I started writing jokes just for Twitter, kind of taking snippets of conversations or what I was observing. And uh, Twitter really gave me some good feedback. You can kind of see what people respond to and what they don't and what they like was stuff about my kids. Like I didn't set out to be a parenting blogger. I was kind okay. of an everything comedy blogger. And so I really fo you know, focused in on that, uh, put in a ton of time and uh, I, I gradually grew it up to about 200,000 followers. 
And then from there, BuzzFeed got in touch with me and they ran an article on me. And that's what kind of made everything explode. They had an article with uh, 20 of my tweets in it and just a bunch of stuff about me. And all those tweets had active or they all those those jokes they posted of mine had active links back to me. When people clicked on them, they go see uh, the other 15,000 jokes I'd written just right. like that. And that, you know, over the weekend, I gained, uh, you know, like six figures and followers. And then uh, within a month, I had an agent. And within a couple months, I had a book deal. So that kind of changed everything. Just that one article. Wow. What did it feel like to get that check mark in the blue circle? You know, the, uh, the, the check mark is definitely something that's overvalued. It really is like when you don't have it, it's the thing you want the most in the world. And then you get it and you realize absolutely nothing changed. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't impress anybody on the internet or off the internet. Right. And, and I'm sure though, once that happened, you became the, you know, an official social media influencer and you started getting lots of PR professionals and brands probably reaching out to you. How do you handle that? I, um, I actually like it when they reach out. Now, they have not been reaching out as much uh, in these unprecedented times, but uh, every time they do, it's always fun because uh, they come at me and they're like, okay, well, we're, we're trying to contact James Breakwell, you know, reaching out to his team. They, they kind of assume that I've got like this whole network of underlings over here and it's just me, uh, <laughs> but it, it is, it's great because um, that gives me a lot of flexibility because I'm ultimately the decision maker for everything. So yeah, PR companies reach out to me and then the first thing I do is kind of look at, you know, is this a good fit or not because generally the brands that come to me the, the nice thing about having such a large internet presence is they know who i am and and what i represent like if you if you came to me and you were selling like ninja stars or machetes i probably wouldn't <laughs> do that that's not really going to fit with what i do here uh but you know there are people who come with like jams and jellies or just stuff stuff like that kids products family vacations and uh usually we can work something out sometimes they want video and video is actually my least it's probably it's the most impressive looking product to put out for an advertisement. It's my Uh least favorite to work with. Cause when you've got four kids, like you can't, it is so hard to edit a video because there's always somebody crying or not doing something they're supposed to like a photo. We're not, there's always someone not looking at the camera. I much prefer photos because with photos, I can just tap a million of them in a row. And out of those million, there'll be like two that are good. But if you do video, like out of 10 minutes of footage, there might not be like any usable footage in there. So that can be really be a nightmare. But yeah, I definitely prefer the, uh, the picture form. And I've kind of over time figured out what works and what doesn't. So a lot of times companies will come and they'll want you to like tweet out a link or share a link. And that's actually the least effective way to get engagement. It sounds uh, super uh, counterintuitive. It seems Mm -hmm. like if you put out a link, people are going to click on it. That's direct engagement. That's not how it works because the social media services, if you put out a link, they just tend to bury them and nobody sees them. They they get very few impressions. So what you want to do is you just put something talking about the product and generally that will direct more people to it overall. It'll get exponentially more impressions. And even when I'm like, when I'm trying to sell my own books, I've discovered tweeting out a link to my book is useless. Sharing a picture of my book and talking about it will make people who are interested, take that extra step and search it out buy it, it. It's the exact opposite of what you would think, but yeah, it, it is much more effective. Yeah. yeah. So you began the exploding unicorns on Twitter about five years ago. What have been some of your favorite moments along the way? Uh, going viral was definitely a head trip. Uh, I really enjoyed that. You know, for, for a couple of days, I just sat there refreshing my account every time to see <laughs> the numbers go up. And that, that was a lot of fun. Um, the first time I got flown somewhere, I actually, okay, so okay, here's, here's my complete narcissism moment. Well, after my first book came out, um, the free, uh, 
Library in Philadelphia, I think is its name. They, they have all these prestigious speakers come and they asked me to come speak. And I'm, I'm not prestigious wow. by any means, but I was pretty honored. And they're going to fly me out there and do this. And as I go there, you know, anytime somebody's like physically taking you someplace, it seems like a big deal because I never fly anywhere. So I'm in the Indianapolis airport waiting. And as part of the book tour for this thing, I had uh, done a interview, you know, just like I'm doing now, I do podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Not so much podcasts back then, but uh, one of the interviews was with uh, Runners Weekly, or I, I think that was the name, or one of the running magazines. And I couldn't find it anywhere, but they had it at the airport. And so I went to the airport store and I bought this magazine. And in it, there was a full page picture of me. And I sat there reading. <laughs> an article with a full page picture of me as I was waiting for somebody to fly me someplace else. And I was like, this is it. I've officially made it. Now I have, I have not had a similar moment since then. So th those <laughs> things do not happen very often, but it was pretty cool that day. W was your wife excited or rolling her eyes? <laughs> oh, the, the, the thing about wives is they are universally unimpressed by all of this stuff. I, it's uh, kids as well. Like it, with my kids, you know, you think, oh, I got You know, I, I put out all these books. They don't care. I've got all these followers on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. They don't care. The only thing that exists to small children, as I'm sure you well know, is YouTube. Like if you're not a YouTube star, you're nothing. In fact, my six-year-old yes. has started introducing me to people as a YouTuber. And I've got like a, a pitifully <laughs> small following on YouTube, but that is the the aspiration for all kids. So I guess Wait, I'll, I'll I take what I think it's still over like 200,000 or something. So it's no, not too it, bad, right? It's it's 20,000. You, oh, you, okay. you added a zero and I appreciate that. <laughs> I was trying that. to make yeah. it a little <laughs> And I mean, on the grand scheme of like all YouTube accounts, like 20,000 is pretty good. But in terms of like the point where you start making money on YouTube, it's it's miles away. And my six-year-old, she watches so much YouTube. She comes up to me with all these schemes. She's like, so here's, here's what we're going to do when you get your golden play button, which is like, what happens when you have a million followers? Right. And it's like, I add like 50 followers a month on YouTube, kid. It's not going to happen. So you are not going to be cool until that happens though. With yes. Her. Yes. If I don't get that plaque, I will forever be a disappointment, but that's okay. It's good to kind of set their expectations low and keep, and keep them there. I have to admit one of my favorites was your four-year-old at the time saying that girls aren't as tall as boys because their brains are too heavy. You are raising them, right? <laughs> They, uh, yeah, the things that they come up with and their kind of perspective on the world, it's, it's really been a gift. And so when I, I started comedy writing long before I had children, I never would have envisioned it would have gone this way, but yeah, just kind of the, the things they say is a starting point to create articles and create jokes and do all that. It's, it's a, it's a perspective I never would have had. Uh, so that, that's been really a, a joy to experience. And, and the awesome part about it is no matter how weird or off the wall, what my kids say is like, there'll be somebody out there who'll comment like, oh my God gosh, my kid did exactly that today. We're kind of all in this uh, weirdness together. It's just so universal. Yes. Oh, I felt that way so much as I'm reading your things like, wow, it's not just our kids. <laughs> so that does feel good. Um, I've heard that one of your proudest moments involved a taxidermy bear. Can you tell yes. us about that? So um, my my brother was getting married and over the years it had come up, we, we had a previous time attempted to buy a giant taxidermy bear as a joke wedding gift. Like it was his idea originally and they, the original plot fell through. So then when my, my brother was getting married himself, I was the best man and I took it upon myself to make this bear happen. And uh, there was so much cloak and dagger stuff going on with this. But the, the 
weird thing is, as I was being super secretive within the family, I was putting this out on my newsletter every week, like every stage of this. So like tens of thousands of people were reading about this. And because my direct family never follows anything I do on social media, my brother had no idea. Yeah. Like I, uh, Like, and when I finally, and it was actually through the newsletter, somebody alerted me to a bear up in like Northern Michigan. It was like a seven or eight hour drive away, but it was a great, it was a seven foot tall bear. It was incredible. And so like the next morning I told my wife, I was like, you got to take the kids to school. I have to go get this bear. I just rushed up there to get this thing. It was, uh, it it was kind of a harrowing journey. And on the way back, I got this giant bear, like rolling around in the back of my minivan because I did not properly secure it. I was going to ask you if it was in the passenger seat or not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, this thing was was big enough. I had to lay down both rows of seats and squeeze oh. it in back. And then my wife's one condition, because the wedding was still months away. She's like, that thing is not coming back to our house. So <laughs> I found a friend. Everybody needs a friend like this. Like, hey man, can I stash a giant bear in your living room? And actually, originally I promised him like, well, we'll just stick it like in a back bedroom or something. It won't be a big deal. It was so big and so long. It could not fit down his hallway. So yeah, oh, we stuck it in his goodness. living room and it was just like lurking behind his chair. And we like <laughs> threw a tarp over the top. So it wasn't immediately obvious when you looked in that there was a giant bear. And so for months it sat there. Then I started pulling on the rest of my family because uh, this wasn't just going to be a bear at the wedding. It was going to be a classy bear at the wedding. <laughs> so um, I had my mom uh, make him like a vest. So it was like, he'd like have a tuxedo going on. He had a bow tie. I went and bought him a monocle and a pocket watch. He had a staff and a top hat. He was very classily dressed. It was all appropriately tailored. And then the crowning part of it was my, my sister, um, I'm one of seven kids. There's children all over the place in the story, but she's in college now. And actually she's in law school, but that, that is nothing compared to her greatest skill, which is gift wrapping. So I was like, well, I want to wrap this bear, but I want it to be super obvious what it is underneath the wrapping paper. Like it needs to be like tight to the bear all the way around. And uh, it was not a job that could be accomplished by traditional wrapping paper. So right. she, w- she went and got tablecloths, these really fancy tablecloths and wrapped it around perfectly around each arm, around each leg, around the snout. And then on the designated day after the wedding ceremony, I still had to get this bear in place. So after my brother got married in the church, I went to my van, which I had strategically hidden down the street. And I raced to the wedding venue because I couldn't get in there beforehand. And I, there was like a bus going, taking everybody else. So I got there like minutes beforehand and had to have a group of people help me rush it in. And we hid it in a closet. And then in my best man speech at the very end, I, uh, I revealed, you know, I, I said, we've got this gift for you and we rolled it out. I put it on rollers and uh, it was awesome. He unwrapped it right there in front of everybody. Everybody wanted to get their picture taken with the bear. In fact, the, one of the, the my favorite pictures from that is the bride who had no idea about any of this. This was Aww. just, a, <laughs> no. this was completely, okay. She's a, he, he married somebody. She's uh she's an immigrant from China just recently. And uh, she, it's kind of the one they met. She barely spoke English and he didn't speak any Chinese. And I think that's the only reason she could stand him is that they just, uh, <laughs> she had no idea who he was, but they, uh, out in California, uh, rents are so expensive. You just go on Craigslist and find somebody. And so they just randomly met, they became roommates and, you know, a couple months later they were dating and then they were married. Are so you was, serious? Yeah. So any, <laughs> anyway, the, the reason I tell that is so half of the people at this wedding were, had flown over from China. So her whole family was there <laughs> and they had no idea why this giant bear in a tuxedo <laughs> was in the middle of this wedding dance floor. It's like, is this just a normal American? An American <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, but she she having no idea what, what was going on, she loved the bear and she actually assembled ever, all the guests in the wedding together so that the photographer could have an overhead shot of everybody gathered around the bear. So that was that was probably wow. my crowning achievement. And the whole time I I I chronicled it all on my newsletter and people got really invested. And I had some people tell me like they teared up at the end when I talked about it. And the best part was that I I had a couple people film it. So I was able to share the video of the big reveal and it was amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. We'll have to link to it on <laughs> here. <laughs> what, where is the bear now? The bear. Uh, so for a couple months afterwards, my brother, he's in the military and he was on a base. He could not take it back with him that day. So it ended up back in my house, which my wife had explicitly forbidden. Mm-hmm. But once we got it in the house, it turns out we've got an old uh, Victorian house and it actually looked really classy in here. I had it in the back of me when I was recording my YouTube videos. It really, it, it really gave me some uh, gravitas. But then uh, at Christmas, after he got married, he came back and he rented a U-Haul and he drove it back. So it is now out in Oklahoma at his house uh, and it's it's in his living room yeah he's, wow. uh, he's expecting his first child now so that bear is going to be there for the life of his kids growing up just the centerpiece of their living room it will be and they will they will think that's normal <laughs> yes they will <laughs> so you know obviously that story is amazing what what about some comedy you thought would go over well but didn't do, do does that happen often it does sometimes and I've, I've learned what things to stay away from I you know I'm, I, I'm pretty positive I just put out you know funny, lighthearted things, but the internet is the internet and people get worked up about the craziest stuff. I had one person uh, one time who unfollowed me because my kids were eating corn dogs and they like, they could not <laughs> condone that. Or they, somebody's freaked out because they saw my kids eating grapes that I hadn't like diced up into microscopic pieces. The biggest, and then uh, when I got my pigs, of course, my pet pigs, um, I, I went through the internet for that as well. That was a separate scheme. And uh, people got really upset about that. They're like, you can't take care of a pig. It's going to end up in a, you know, in a, uh, humane society or an animal shelter is going to destroy your home. It's going to eat your children. And it's like, you know, I've, I've been raising four daughters. I'm pretty sure I can, I can handle a pet and, you know, <laughs> pigs, they, they, they do get into things, but ultimately they they're short and they don't have thumbs. So they're really not that much work. Uh, and the worst one, I found out this real early on, if you are in social media at all, never post pictures of your kids in car seats. People have meltdowns mm. about the ways your kids are in car seats. Uh, and that's one of the, one of the stories I told in my upcoming book, but yeah, let's Lesson learned there with things, things that are hot button issues for people, the less said, the better sometimes. Yeah. I like your parking lot rule that if you wouldn't say it to a stranger to parking lot, don't say it online. I wish yes. everyone would live by that. <laughs> and, and nobody does. That was, yeah, actually, I, I probably should be grateful that it, that there was that big backlash about the car seat thing. And that it happened about something that was so relatively unimportant. So it was such a great learning experience and such a, it gave me so much perspective on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the parking lot rule, just for reference, yeah, if you wouldn't say it in a, say it to a stranger in a parking lot, don't say it on the internet. I don't know that anybody ever follows that. We get behind the keyboards. We have the anonymity. It's like, you know what yeah. this person would really like my unsolicited opinion about how their child is going to die. All right. right. Thanks for that. (laughs) So can you give us a sneak peek into your newest book, how to be a man, which comes out on June 1st, right? Yes. Um, And I do have to read the description to everyone. So there's no wrong way to be a woman. There are countless wrong ways to be a man. James Breakwell should know he's tried just about all of them. Journalism, pig ownership, felony lawn, gnome theft, Whatever masculinity is supposed to be, this can't be it. But can you really fail at something no one can quite define, apparently? So tell us a little bit. 
So it's uh, the full title is How to Be a Man, Whatever That Means, Lessons in Modern Masculinity from a Questionable Source. And I am the most questionable source out there. So the title is 100% true. And I wanted a chance to kind of explore some stories from my own life. So so much about of the comedy writing I do is focused, it's focused on the present moment and it's focused on my kids, you know, what's happening in our lives today, what's happening this week. Uh, but there's been a lot of funny stories I've built up over time that I never had the chance to tell because when they were happening, I didn't have an audience. So this is me going back and, you know, here, here's the crazy stuff that happened in high school, in college, in the early parenting years before I was on Twitter, all of that, basically my 35 years of best stories all condensed down. And the unifying theme is what did this story teach me about how to be a man or what should it have taught me? Because I probably learned the opposite, you know, through all this trial and error, mostly error. It was a really great book to put together. It was a really personal book to get put together. You know, there's a few stories that aren't necessarily comedy in there, but they definitely fit under the... Uh, uh, under the theme of manhood. Uh, so there's some some vulnerability that I hadn't shown before. So I think the people who are used to reading my regular books are going to see a little bit different side of me and hope, hopefully they appreciate that. But yeah, it's a, it's been a great book to put together. I think it's been my favorite writing experience so far. That's great. I, that was going to be what I was going to ask you is what's been your favorite one to write. So <laughs> yes, the, the, definitely this one, because, because these, so some of my earlier stories, like I wrote a parenting guide to the, the zombie apocalypse and that was fun to write too, but it's not something you have to fact check. Like there are no zombie experts out there, but with this one, I'm writing these stories and it's like, you know, there were other people in here and you know, there's nothing more unreliable than an eyewitness, especially when that eyewitness is me and very young. So it gave <laughs> me a chance to go back to my parents and say, Hey, do you remember this? What? How do you remember what happened or go back to my college roommates and say, hey, remember the lawn gnomes? And it just that that especially was a blast because, you know, that that lawn gnome story, there's six different versions of the story out there. And I kind of took the took what I think is the most plausible and cobbled them together. But that's one of those situations where you will never, ever get the full truth. It has definitely been lost to time and alcohol. <laughs> well, that's great. Can't, can't wait to read it. So besides the new book on the way, what's next? So uh, I'm continuing to grind away on all my social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter at Exploding Unicorn without the E or on my website, explodingunicorn.com. You can sign up for my newsletter through there. And that's probably my biggest passion project outside of books right now. Every week I send out about a 2000 word comedy article, uh, just about what's been happening in our lives that week. And it kind of keeps me on my toes. It teaches me to write fast and people uh, really like to connect with me that way. Uh, as far as uh, future projects, I, I've pivoted somewhat. I actually, my, my biggest accomplishment during the pandemic was I managed to sell a science fiction book. So it's going to be my, it's a, it's comedy science fiction uh, with, with some drama and stuff thrown in, but that uh, it's called the chosen 12 and that's going to come out next year through rebellion books. So that'll be a whole new experience for me as well. Sounds like you spend all of your free time, which free time is it, it's not really existent with kids, but <laughs> writing, <laughs> right? I, I spend a lot of time writing, but the great thing about writing about kids is parenting time and writing time overlap so much. Mm -hmm. You know, you just hang out with them. And at the same time, you're, you're, you're doing quality time, but you're also gathering joke material. So it's, I think, I think multitasking is the key to success at anything. And I definitely found a way to do that with this. Yes. And before we go, we have to circle back to the pigs. So yes. you have two and they're mm -hmm. pets that actually live in your home. 
Right? Yes. Yeah. So you, do you want the story about how I got those or do you want the story about why I have them? Probably both. <laughs> okay. So I was, I was born on a pig farm in Iowa and uh, my dad hurt his back and we had to move off when I was real little, like three. And along the theme of never growing up, I was convinced for my entire childhood that being a pig farmer was the greatest profession in the world. And like, I was the first man in my family to not raise pigs. So I always just had this love for pigs. Uh, fast forward to when I was an adult, I found out about mini pigs and uh, my wife said, we're not spending money on that. And that was the loophole. She didn't say we couldn't get one. She said, we're not spending <laughs> money on that. So going by the letter of the law, uh, this was after I went viral on Twitter. I reached out to a pig breeder in Indiana and I said, hey, if I can get you social media promotion, uh, will you give me a free pig? And they agreed. They said, if you get us so many likes on our Facebook page, uh, we will uh, we'll give you one. And so I reached out to my followers on Facebook and Twitter and I said, hey guys, help me endanger my marriage. Let's, let's get this page lots of likes. <laughs> likes so they uh so they'll send me a pig and sure enough people banded together they they just love chaos and uh, a couple weeks later i got a pig and then a few years after that we decided the pig needed a friend so we found another good deal and got that as well so yeah we have two pigs uh they're fun they have totally different personalities um they, they do get into a lot of things I, I was in the middle of a phone call earlier today and i had to put it on mute to chase my pig out of the kitchen because she toppled over a, a, a pan lid so yeah they they they're, they're kind of like raptors they always test your defenses uh, but never in the same spot twice, never in the same way. So all the things you do to childproof a house, it's like it's like that times 10. But the good news is they can't reach stuff up high. So really you can focus your childproofing down low and then you're pretty safe. How big is a mini pig? So they're not, the, the term mini is, is a little misleading. So they're short. So they, they don't come up past my knees. So they're, okay. they are much smaller and uh, Gilly, our older one weighs about a hundred pounds and she should be about full grown. People say that's huge. It's like, she's very, she's very dense. They're like, a okay. cause you know, you picture a hundred pound dog. That's pretty tall. A hundred pound pig is, is short. It's a, she's a brick made of ham, but like a full size pig, a full size farm pig is like 600 pounds. So she's a sixth of that. But if you think you're going to get a pig that still fits in a cup as cup as an adult like that, that's never going to happen they, they get up to about your knees and they weigh 100 or so pounds okay and your wife then eventually liked it because I, <laughs> I, th I, I don't know if like is the right word i think as with an, all my endeavors tolerate is the more accurate <laughs> word she definitely tolerates them but they are my responsibility so when you know when, when we hear something crash downstairs like go see what your pig is doing so i <laughs> I, I know where the responsibility falls well that's great thank you so much for joining us james we'll definitely see you on twitter yes thank you so and much for having your me book. <laughs> yes please do thank you so much all right thank you <laughs> As we mentioned, you can find James on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll share the links in our podcast episode description. All of his books are available on Amazon and other retailers. That's all for this episode of Media in Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined, available anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time.